What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes Podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. For today's episode, I'm going to pull some highlights from four of my favorite episodes. I've had so many incredible conversations with so many wonderful men showing up in their homes that I encourage you to take a little listen through. And then if it sparks some interest, go listen to the full episode with these guys. I'm going to try and drop this a bit more often, pulling out the highlights, because sometimes these conversations are so deep. There's so much depth to them to just have them be posted once and not gain the fullness from it. Or if you miss it, I really encourage you to go back and check it out. But episode 338 with my friend Michael Davis, how we build our children's identity as a father and helping them to find themselves. And there's some controversy in this one in the sense that I listened to this with my whole family. First time I've ever listened to an episode with my entire family. And my girls perked up because Michael has seven sons. And so his view of how he's raising his sons and hoping for good homemaker wives couple of my daughters sat up and we had a long conversation about the difference of opinion and what are they pursuing in life? What is Michael training his sons to look for in a spouse and a marriage? So good conversation. Episode 266 with my good friend, John Vroman. We talk about the small moments. We talk about how to handle the bad moments and then how to celebrate good times. But John Vroman, Front Row Dads, doing remarkable work, incredible podcast himself. My friend Seth Daly, episode 308. A couple things with this one is he shares some powerful stories of helping his daughter through a situation where she was a victim in a sense. But we also dig into, in his episode, talking about his relationship with his father and his father passing. And then my friend Jonathan Wayne Freeman, one of the funniest guys on Instagram. We've done a couple episodes, but I pulled some stuff from episode 252, talking about making your wife laugh. Check this out. I hope you enjoy hearing from these incredible guys, and I encourage you to go and check out their episode if you like. Here we go. Michael, father to me means creator, and you and I, we create life in our kids with our words and actions. And this statement that you said, they are complete because we say they are complete. That sentence right there is so freaking powerful. You as a father, dads, you got to hear this. Listen to what Michael said, because I know that you may struggle with identity and that's okay. Work on that. But you have the authority to tell your kid, you and your spouse, if you're married, that your child is complete because you say they are. You have that power to speak into them. Dude, they're not needy. If you meet the needs of your kids and show them who they are, then they aren't like everybody else. And that's something I've been talking to my kids about is like, We're not like everybody else and not better than, but we're not pursuing the same things as everybody else. Yeah, that's right. They say dads essentially give the identity to the child and then the mothers affirm it. The reason why so many children have identity crisis, A, I really feel like the whole movement right now where people are confused about their sexual identity, I'd really like to see some statistics on how many of those come from a home where father's not present, either emotionally 
physically present, but I have a sneaking suspicion it's high levels of children who don't have father telling them who they are because that voice does carry a certain amount of weight. And then mothers affirm what the dads said. So the dad's giving them the identity, the mother's coming alongside and affirming them. And not just sexual identity, this is identity is, it's the same thing about a father helping a son find his bent. That is something that's scriptural. We're meant to help them this whole idea of like, well, what do you want to do in college? And they're supposed to come up with that idea. It's like, are you having a laugh? They don't know shite from shinola about I mean, this is the whole point of how is someone supposed to know who they are on a sexual level when they don't even know what they want to do when they grow up. 40-year-olds don't even know what they want to do when they grow up, let alone an 18-year-old. But a father really should be the one who's at least been observant enough to know. My son, who I know is going to smash it in marketing, when he was five years old, he was running around with one of our phones recording people oh check this out look at ashton over here he's about to jump into the pool and da da and he runs over the across the room and he's filming someone else and he's doing all the commentating along with it and this dude's going to be really good with multimedia and marketing and he just put some videos together recently of him and his brothers and cousins at the gym and on his own he just went and edited this thing down like where did you get that how did you make that video the sound effects the intro the editing you know i just got this editing tool i just tinkered around with it it was it was world class they give you hints as to what the gifts are again if someone's in the element you got to help your son or daughter find their element but the element is where the passions are meeting their giftings and they're intersecting so when look he's passionate about this his gifts are to say he's this can we find something where these two intersect and that's helping them find their bent. Probably best thing somebody can do is just hire someone to do an aptitude for children before they go off to university. Instead, you're spending 200 grand at a university on a degree they're never going to use. I love what Jordan Peterson's doing, by the way. The guy's looking to start an online university. It'll be accredited university for four grand, four year accredited they do aptitude test on the way out the door he brings the right instructors in four thousand dollars it should totally upend the whole university system that's about right value for money right there in my opinion it shouldn't be a penny more than that based on what they're picking up and learning i love it right now things that are going on in my mind is okay i have a senior a daughter who's a senior so this came up at the retreat we were at too, but doing some aptitude tests for her throughout this year as she's making some decisions about what she wants to do. And then wrestling with, for her, this dream she's had her whole life of what high school would look like and what college would look like based on the movies she watched, essentially. And now it's been pretty good because it's been opening up conversations. We just changed what my twins are going to do both for high school. We just changed it this last week because now we're having conversations about, okay, well, this is where we see you. And where do you see yourself? And so we just shifted their schools and everything. So having these conversations with your kids is is powerful. Man, Michael, we could talk forever. If I could add one thing about, you know, like you have daughters. I don't have daughters. But what I wish, what I'm looking for, and I don't know if I'm going to find it. Look, I'm raising my sons to be spiritual leaders, boundary setters, proven providers, they really can't really talk to me about relationship unless they've ticked them boxes. It's like, who decides Who decides who's ready for marriage? For me, it's the father of the son. So the father, me, I'm the one who determines he's not ready. This isn't, you know, if a girl's interested and the parents are getting excited, 
He's not ready. He hasn't proven himself in these areas. But for me, I'm raising my son to be a proven provider. Where are the girls who have been raised to be world-class homemakers for my sons? Where are the girls who know how to bless the spirit of a baby when she conceives? Where are the girls who know how to make world-class meals for the husbands when they get home and they've done the heavy graft? Where are the girls who have been taught about intimacy and how to please their husband in that dimension of the world? It's like, hey, if we're going to do this heavy lifting on our end with the boys, we are looking for some girls who are raised. Because the very one thing that we know about women is they have an innate desire to have children. They go off, they get this big old degree, they come home, they're like, I want to have kids. It's in them. The most important thing, I don't care if you ask one of the wealthiest CEOs in the world, what's your greatest accomplishment? Probably my children. And how much time did you spend learning about your children before they came? How much you spent a lot of time learning about how to have an MBA in marketing, but how much time did you spend learning about how to raise a child from zero to seven? You know, I mean, the whole system for me that is a little bit backwards. I'm gonna sound a little bit old school to some people, but and I don't but I don't really care. I just call it as I see it and I just see the thing backwards. You send a kid off to go get an MBA in college. They don't even have faith, hope, and love, which in the Bible, it says those three are the ones that remain. So, okay, they can figure out a calculus equation, but they don't have enough faith, hope, and love to get through 90% of life's challenges. I just think we've got the whole thing backwards. And I would love it if we just all just took a time out and said, hang on a minute, because this is a great time on the earth to look at transformational shift, a little bit of a renaissance period of getting back to what's really important rather than the world has framed up is meant to be important. Dude, my mind is going a million miles an hour. We don't have time to unpack the homemaker, but it is funny. We were having this conversation around the dinner table last night with, because my wife is, she stays home. She has stayed home since she was pregnant with Brooklyn. So it's been 17 years. See, it's funny. She's still like a go-getter. There's something in me saying like she's not a total freaking badass because she stays at home. It's insane the level that we discredit that. But I love this quote, so I'll bring this up, but I do want to ask you a question about, we can focus on the sons for a minute. C.S. Lewis says this quote, he says, the homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that's to support the ultimate career. Send that to me. That just proves my point. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. Then this is a dude who is atheist or whatever he was. And then through his search realized, okay, there is only one answer. So let me ask you this for men right now who are listening to this and they have sons, what are the things that they should be talking about their sons now? So that when their son's 22, 25, it's not like, Hey son, you need my approval to get married. The son, we want to raise them up from the moment that we're handed them to know like, Hey dad, am I ready to go get married? In a sense, like if you start to do that now and they're young, then he's going to be looking to you to go, Hey dad, am I ready for this? So with that, you said boundaries. Tell me what those things were again, that a father should start working with his son on. Yeah. Our friend Greg Gunn is a big proponent of as well. But one is they are spiritual leader. We're all spirits with a soul in a body and we love them all but a lot of people focus on the body and, and or they focus on the mind will and emotions but they don't spend a lot of time focusing on their spirit that's the sage of the three minds there so the spiritual leader their boundary setters the ones that set the boundaries not the wife and when i got married to linda she was the boundary setter not me it was sad it was just like i just went to bed whenever i thought it was time to go to bed and but she was far wiser than I was. 
primarily due to the way she was raised. Their family just had better boundaries on their lives than my family did. But it shouldn't be that way. The sons need to learn how to set boundaries. They need to be proven providers. What I did with the boys, if you're asking about what do you guys do in advance of their kids being ready for marriage, a lot of it is we let them know, Linda and I both let them know that, hey, look, here's what we expect in who you marry. I mean, this will be really old school, but let's be honest, the arranged marriages have a higher success rate than these other marriages. I think there's a reason for it. These people are concerned about who they're getting married to because you're really marrying families. You're not just marrying a person, you're marrying their family as well. And so the people who have spent, if you care about your child, you would think you'd like to make sure that they are going to spend the rest of their life with the right person. We just up at JH Ranch, they said, listen, whatever you do, never let your child marry a Christian. Only let them marry a godly person. And there's a big difference between the two. They unpack what a godly person is. And a godly person is someone who abides with God on the daily. They understand what that looks like. They understand what that means. But I think the most important thing, our sons grew up with the understanding that we would be heavily involved in who they were going to be marrying. When that person arrives, just know that we will be taking their parents out for multiple meals, getting to know them. It's one step removed from the old Spanish Inquisition, you know what I mean? It's like really having a deep desire to understand what our sons are getting themselves into, because things can look rather great at the surface. But what ends up happening, though, and same thing, J.H. Ranch, kids end up getting married. They marry someone for their personality. But what they get is their character after they get married. You're meant to be marrying for character, not for personality. So this is very important. That's essentially what we've lined the boys up with is like, look, the character is going to be the most important thing of all. So we need to understand, is there some godly character there? Just so that you guys are avoiding a bunch of headaches. And what's sweet is they trust us. So it's not like they're like, oh, whatever, dad. No, they understand like, no. And we use, we've use we used examples along the way. Hey, do you see, it could be a family member in the family that's a bit of a shit show. Have you seen what their life is looking like? How do you like that? Is that something that you want? Or do you like this family over here? And it's very easy that way for them to get a picture. It's like, well, I'd rather have that family. Well, let me tell you about what that family does. It's different from what this family's done. That's a great, easy hack to teach your kids. Let's take a family that's very functional, thriving, multi-generations. The grandkids are thriving. The kids are thriving. The marriages are intact versus this little circus over here. And it doesn't take much when you describe two families. If you can be in tune and listening to your family, and it's not just this, we're going to plan this summer vacation, we're driving to Yellowstone or Yosemite or Disneyland or whatever. Those are killer moments too, but it's also sideline at the soccer field. It's also Mother's Day. Are you crushing Mother's Day? Are you listening to your kid when they come home, when they walk mm-hmm. in your office, when they're wanting to talk to you? Are you pausing and being present for them? So I love that being present. I think that's something we're all struggling with to some level in our fast paced world, but being present. Let me add one to that if I may real quick. Also that, that here's something, this is practical and it comes from a study. So if I'm talking to my left brain guys out there and they want some science behind this, your ability as a dude to celebrate with your wife is more important than even the moments where she's not doing well. So in other words, if she's having a shitty day, how you respond to her is very important. How you respond to her is important. 
What's more important, and that's been proven, is that to strengthen your relationship, it's actually how you respond in great moments, even more so than it is in how you show up for the bad ones. Because a lot of guys suck at celebrating what's great genuinely with their wife when she's really excited about something. So moment making comes from both, like showing up when somebody's really going through a tough time, that you're a moment maker there if you just show up and listen. And there's a great philosophy that was taught to me by a guy named Ted Lowe. He said, do you want me to feel it or fix it? When you're talking to your wife and she's pouring on you, it's like, do you want me to feel that or fix that? Because one, I can just sit here and listen and just feel that with you. The other one is I can offer advice. Most guys just go for the advice and they screw it all up. Yep. And sometimes they want advice, but you have to feel it or fix it. You have to be in a place of recognizing that how you show up, both positive and negative, is very, very important. Man, that's powerful because I think that a lot of times when things are just going okay, life is okay, kids are going to school, there's enough money to have dinner, things are going okay, we're not pausing and celebrating the little wins throughout the day or celebrating our wife. It's usually when things start falling apart that we all of a sudden want to invest in it instead of investing in it. I mean, that's even mediocre. We're kind of just okay with mediocre. Instead, let's get in tune with that, be present in that and help it elevate to be like, who doesn't want a killer relationship with their wife where their wife is stoked to see them, stoked to hang out? Oh man. Okay. So good. So moments and memories on a small scale and a big scale, father's have the opportunity to create moments. And it sounds as though the biggest thing around the moments that you've shared is one, listening, two, being present. What about planning? What about planning for moments? I think that you can. And sometimes we put too much pressure on planning for the moment. Sometimes. And sometimes we don't plan enough. I'll give you an example. And I try to use real examples, not speaking in theory. And also, these are my own experiences, whether they're true for anybody else, who the hell knows? But this is real for me. Here's what's crazy. I spent 15 years figuring out how to be a moment maker for all these people. I literally, people are paying me $30,000 to come speak on a stage for an hour so I could tell them all about Front Row Foundation and moment making and all this stuff. But man, I sucked at being a moment maker for my own family. Mm. I was great for everybody else. I'm creating all these amazing moments. When it came to my own family, I was the worst. Even holidays, I rebelled against holidays because I was like, I don't want somebody telling me that I'm supposed to be really happy. And I always say, it's like when somebody's like, be funny. I'm like, uh, that's <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, okay. It's like, be happy on this day and be really happy. I'm like, I would just rather be happy on a Tuesday because I choose to be than right. for you telling me I have to be. So I rebelled against it. But at some point I was like, you know, let me allow this to be an opportunity to challenge myself to be a little bit better at planning. Sometimes those holidays reveal how bad you suck at doing things too, which is why you rebel against them. Just recently, like in the last year or two, I was like, I'm going to nail Christmas. I'm going to nail Halloween. I'm going to nail all the holidays and I'm going to plan. I'm going to literally grab a Google doc and I'm going to sit down and be like, I'm going to think this through like I would think through any project. And I remember this year I went to Starbucks and I sat down and I said for four hours, four hours, I'm going to time block and I'm not going to think about anything but Christmas. And I literally researched all the things we could do. And I thought about what do we want to be as a family? What does Christmas mean to me? What is Christmas? What could it mean to my family? How do I want to talk about it? How do I want to show up on Christmas Eve, on Christmas morning. And I literally made a plan. And it was a big Google Doc. And I had all these thoughts. And I'm journaling. And I'm asking questions. And I'm researching. And dude, my wife was so blown away at my level of preparation and preparedness. She was lit up. And you know what I felt like, man? I felt like a fucking leader. (laughs) Like I felt like I really did. I felt like 
yes, this is what it's like to lead your family. This is what it's like to care enough about Christmas to actually do some stuff. And I would rebel against her. She'd be like, you didn't do shit for Christmas or whatever. And I'd be like, you're ungrateful. And I kind of blamed her again for like her not being grateful for how hard I was working and what I was providing. And the truth is deep down inside, deep in my heart, man, I knew I wasn't caring enough about Christmas or about her birthday or about whatever. Do I still fail at this? Of course I do. I'm like, I'm definitely not trying to represent that I've got it all figured out. But I definitely had a win this year. I definitely had victories on multiple holidays because of how I cared about it. Yes. Man, I love that you used Christmas as an example because it's simple. It's not, yeah, Ned, I sat down for four hours and uh, we planned this six-week trip to Europe and we traveled, which is rad, dude. I hope we can all do that one day. But something that you have freaking power over. This is the day I'm going to put the Christmas lights up. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to get my kids. And this is the sweater I'm going to wear and just like fully go embrace (laughs) this to where my family goes, whoa, this is fun. This guy matters. This guy cares. And dude, we all have the time to do that, to sit down and figure that out. And you said it made you feel like just a badass leader. Yeah, And isn't that how every man wants to feel? That their family goes, dude, this guy is it. That's the moment you plan for. Now forever there's this memory. And not only the memory of it, but now you have this own trajectory for yourself of how you show up to stuff. The guide is there to help empower the hero to be the version inside of himself that has always been there, but just has not come forth. Yeah. Yeah. The reality yeah, so is good. Dude, we are not the hero of the story. I mean, we are, right? We are, but we aren't. Like yeah. at the end of the day, these kids, each one of them is on their hero's journey. Yes. And I just want to come along them in the different stages that they're at and be a guide. Have I shared the story with you about our daughter at a Barnes and Noble? I don't think so. Okay. This is probably going back 17. Let's say this is going back about three or four years. Our daughter was maybe 13 at the time, and she was sitting at a Barnes & Noble. This is the daughter that I'm very concerned about, not because of her, but because of everybody else out of the world. So I'm hyper vigilant about this daughter at this stage of life. And she's sitting at a Barnes & Noble. We are not there. So mom and dad are not there. We end up getting a call from her. Something happened, basically some creepy dude at the table next to her. Hmm. It ended up getting to the point where like a manager came over and pulled her away. It was one or two clicks away in the conversation from here's some candy, come get in my van. Like said something like, hey, don't you go to that school and reference a teacher's name that he shouldn't have known. And it was weird. Wow. Okay. So she comes home and she's totally rattled. This was a break out of innocence into like, Mm. Dateline. Yeah. This was one of those stories. And um, trying to think about how to handle it. And, and here's what I ended up doing. The next day, I went on an outing with her, maybe a couple of days later, maybe let it cool down. And I took her back to that Barnes and Noble. Mm. And I went and we sat back at the same seat that she was sitting in. By the way, this came to me. I don't know if you've gone skydiving, but there's this rule of thumb in skydiving that if somebody goes on a skydive and they have a bad experience, right? I don't mean they died, I just mean they had a bad experience. Yeah. So great. First thing they'll do, take them back up for a second jump because they don't want it to end with a bad experience. Yeah. So I take her back to the same seat at the same Barnes and Noble and I have her sit there and I just help her get present because what I didn't want is for her to remember that experience as a victim. Mm. So yes. was she a victim? Hell yeah, she was a victim. Of course she was. I mean, some guy just came in. It was probably predator light at best. And by the way, police reports and everything else. So I sit down with her. And I start walking her through as a guide, 
this concept of creating resourcefulness. Hmm. So I walked through this series of questions with her like, all right, so you're sitting here. If you could do it over again, is this the seat that you would have chosen at the time? You remember walking in here yesterday. You remember where the open tables were. You remember where exit paths were. You remember which seat you'd have your back to a wall versus have your back kind of exposed to whatever. Looking back, is this the seat you would have sat in? I mean, basic questions. Yeah. Close your eyes. Think back to yesterday. Think back to the people that were around you. Were you alone? No. What do you mean? There was a lady over here that had been making eye contact with me for the prior 30 minutes, even before this guy showed up. There was this person over here that I had asked if I could charge my computer up there. So I already had connections over here. I was actually helping her remember everything about the prior experience and pull out like the resourcefulness from it. So good. Does that make sense? Yes. Dude, that's powerful, man. And, mm-hmm. and then we went into negatives too. Was there anything you wish you had done different? And I think with the seating, she's like, yeah, I sat here. And if I could have done it over, I would have sat at that table over there that was open because it would have given me some version of privacy or anything else. It was interesting to let her walk through as the hero of her own story. Yes. Invite her into a different role. Yep. To see it differently. She would have been different. But in all situations, I resisted taking her to the victim of the story. Yeah. Because the victim of the story is always a throwaway character. And Mm. I don't know about you, dude, but I struggle with that even now with our kids, if something bad will happen and my version can be like, oh, don't worry. That was problems with this organization. You got caught in the crossfire. That wasn't you. We mean so well because we don't ever want our kids to think they're the villain Yeah, that we turn them into the victim. And I'm like, resist that. That's the nugget right there is when you do that, when you blame the school, the teacher, the coach, the get on your kids bandwagon about whatever that is, and you make someone else the villain, you are turning them into the victim versus how do I pull you into the hero of this story so that you can learn, grow and be the ship that I can send out to high seas for long term because you're not my little baby for eternity. Yeah, dude, powerful, bro. That's so powerful. Let me ask this. When you said, hey, I want to take you back there, was her initial like, no, no. And you kind of had to press it and go like, no, I I believe this is the best way to handle this. So frankly, it's a little fuzzy. So I'm probably making this up now. But my memory is that I had enough chips in the relational bank. Mm. When I said um, something like, hey, we trust me. Are you okay? I mean, it wasn't like she said, hey, dad, can we go through this exercise? Of course. Can we go back to the scene of the crime, right? It wasn't her idea. All I can guess is that I had enough chips in the bank. That's um, good. And it was done from a place of compassion. You know, when you create this energy space around your kids, I think of a little kid when they're walking, they're just toddling around. And we we're like physically creating the space. The dad is there and it's like, anything could happen to this kid. He's not going to get hurt. I got it. I totally got my child. And as they get older, it's not about this physical movement, but it's this energetic rounding of our family. And sometimes his dad, every one of us has nailed it. And every one of us has let the force field down. Yes, but it's that awareness, understanding your role, choosing to be aware and be intentional about it. So powerful. So how's the laughter change your life? So think about laughter in the sense of one, you have your social media, you're being yourself. What's your laughter look like? And then what's your laughter look like with your wife and then with your kids? Because those are more private. So right. I adore when I can have my wife cracking up in our room. I love it. I love to make her laugh. Other <laughs> other than 
other than when something awkward happens during fancy time. And then she starts la- laughing very hard to get back into the groove. But uh, you're laughing we, at me. Are we laughing together? I'm like, what? Are, yeah. Are we laughing together right now? Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, laughter so talk is to me about laughter in your life. It's the best. First off, what's better than hearing our kids laugh and you know it's mm. pure and it's real. It's the best sound in the world. I get maybe two real laughs a year from my wife. Honestly, there's a lot of heard it, dumb <laughs> joke. But when I get those real ones, man, it's yeah. the best. But since we talked last, all the laughter has been about what a pile I used to be. And I go, yes, I agree. Like, oh, you did the dishes. You did this. You thought about me instead of yourself. You filled the, the tank up. You picked the kids up. You did something you didn't have to be told to do. We get a lot of laughter from that because I'm just doing what I guess any dad is supposed to do as a father. Now that I'm doing it, things are going much better and there's a lot more laughter in the house. But see, I think there's a difference and I think I'm just realizing this because I'm pretty dang selfish, but like, okay, I'm going to do the dishes for five days and see if anybody notices or anybody cares, which is kind of like a disciplined asshole. Whereas I'm going to do the dishes because I love my wife and kids. Everyone's tired. I'm going to do this because I'm grateful. Huge so I difference. Think operating out of mm-hmm. gratitude or discipline. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And I mean, I would do very little and then expect tremendous applause and response <sighs> yeah. from my wife. Like, you've done so much, John. Pat on the back and tell everyone. And, and I was doing nothing. It's embarrassing how little I would do. But now it's like you start to look at things as like, it's not just about me. It's about us. You're another human being with your whole life and things you love, things you hate. So let's do this. Let's work as a team. And that's been another little miracle. It's like I met my wife for the first time because I wasn't a great husband. And now it's almost like dating again, which is crazy. 14 years in, she's like, who is this guy? And I'm like, who's this lady? And we're like, oh, we do love each other, but let's be good people to each other and love ourselves, love one another, love our kids. I think that's what everyone should try to strive for because it's worth it. This world's hard enough. You don't need chaos at home. You don't. Yeah. Dude, I tell me about it. The world is so freaking chaotic. Our home should be just the safest mm-hmm. spot. Okay. When you have nothing to do, nothing going on. And you're like, oh shoot, we have nothing going on the next six hours. What are you going to do with your sons? What is the thing that you and your sons are like, ah, this is how we are going to spend some time together. Guy day. Guy day is the best. You get a window. Yeah, man. I've been loving showing them stuff from the eighties that I was into Uh because it's just hilarious. The things they say and respond to. So watch old movies. We go to Dave and Buster's. I let them play some arcade games because I loved it when my dad did that with me when I was younger. Go outdoors. The craziest thing is they want to hang out with you when they're, especially Mm. when they're little. And that's not always going to be that way. And it's a beautiful thing. So lately, the funniest stuff is they're getting a little bit more to the age where we can talk about guy stuff and they have questions and these questions come up and then I take great joy in explaining things to them the best way I can, keeping it PG, you know, and and that's a fun role that's coming in. Having boys is my wife going, hey, you need to talk to this one about this thing. And I go, yes, I'm a dude too. Lots of experience. Let me jump in there. 
And I think about things I was not told when I was young and things I wish Mm -hmm. I would have been aware of. And I go, how can I do this better? Because we're trying to prepare these young human beings to do better than us and navigate this Mm -hmm. world better. And it's a massive responsibility. And as we talked about last time, in my opinion, is the core, the family unit. It's everything. If it goes awry, society starts to go awry everything does. So it's an awesome responsibility. It's a good responsibility. It's a gift. And a lot of men don't realize till it's too late. I was thinking about it today, hearing so many men go, I wasn't home enough. I I was working all the time. Mm -hmm. I was never with these kids. And they're saying that because it's a blink of an eye. And when they start to get older and that testosterone goes down and those emotions start coming to the surface they're not thinking about things they bought they're not thinking about any of that they're going oh we should have traveled more together we should have spent more time just doing anything together because they are you they're you and whoever the mom is they're a piece of you dude so gnarly bananas it's crazy All right, my friends, incredible. I just love these dudes. So many great conversations. Highly recommend going and checking them out, but very grateful to these men for for showing up in the way that you do. And you know, this this comes down to us men knowing who we are. If more men knew who they are, our world would look different. And that's why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. I highly recommend go to adventureoffatherhood.com. I've got three courses on there right now. Introduction of Fatherhood for New Dads. Discover Fatherhood for that dad with a five-year-old or a 15-year-old just really trying to learn more about how to show up in his home. And then once you go through one of those two courses, I've got the 90-day, 18-year roadmap, more intense. The next class is starting January 1st. Just already finished up the first two. And it's a great time to roll with me for 90 days. Discover and create an 18-year roadmap. You can go to adventurefatherhood.com and check that out. All right, thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide and shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.